Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Set a few years after Belarus gained independence in 1990, this vibrant debut film follows the path of young Evelina, who dreams of moving to Chicago where she will pursue her passion for house music. However, obtaining a US visa proves a very difficult endeavor and determined to flee the country, the young woman takes risks of buying a letter of employment from a black market and does a lot of other things in the course of this wonderful film called Crystal Swan to essentially break free of her, of her situation, her past, looking forward to her future. It's a wonderful film, uh, and it's the first uh, feature-length film from our guest today, and that would be Daria Shoup. Daria, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much. A little bit about how the story came about, and I think it very much directly relates to your own personal experience. Uh, tell us a little bit about where Crystal Swan came from. You know, I grew up in Belarus and always wanted to make a film about uh, coming of age there and my generation. And because it always seemed to me that there was something left unsaid, you know, that I spent half of my life in America. I went to college here and and just dreamed about coming back and doing this personal story. Of course, I I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be my first film, but that was always on my mind. Like, you know, there was something unexplored for me. And, you know, even though I live in New York, I do a lot of work uh, in Moscow and in Minsk. So like I'm very much connected, you know, <laughs> I'm a part of this more global, global filmmaking presence, so to say, you know, where you, you go where the projects are. And there was something so personal for me in the film, because of course I also left um, my native Belarus to go to, you know, I had a sort of a, a slightly different uh, goal. I was going to college in America. But, you know, deep down somewhere, I, I just wanted, I just thought that being a DJ was just the best thing that could happen to someone. So it was about someone having this dream, this, this kind of really absurd and ridiculous, but very sincere, sincere dream. Yeah, she wants to play music, you know, and house music is, it just proved such a great metaphor for, for this idea about freedom, because it's a community based around music that embraced everybody who is different. Uh, of course, like Avelina, my, my character doesn't necessarily know that it was centered, started in Chicago around LGBT. I thought it was like a very fresh metaphor about, um, that, that uh, underlied and helped tell the story about her desire for freedom. She's so hopeful and she's so, I want to say sort of a knave of sorts. She's so focused on what she wants to do. She also comes from the culture that is uh, a little more, a uh, little less hopeful, a little more intransigent in terms of just what people's expectations for life is. Um, so we see all of that play out in her character. In your particular journey from Belarus to America, was this something that you also felt a connection to in that regard? Well, you know, you always bump against a society because, I mean, we we have quite a different history, you know, US and, and Eastern Europe and former Soviet Union. So I just wanted to like, you know, remind us of the context, you know, we're coming off of, you know, being a, a part of Soviet Union. Belarus was a part of Soviet Union for 70 years. Uh, you know, it's a young country that doesn't quite know and people are trying to reconcile, you know, expectations, norms and beliefs. But 
of course, it's uh, it's coming off of that uh, collective. Uh, we are strong as a collective. You know, we're not strong as a, you know this individual desire. Desires are not always supported. I am a city city person, so I, I guess I you know I was maybe a little bit more more lucky. <laughs> I was fa- faced with these different points of view. I. I was kind of curious how how do I overcome it? You know, maybe my story is uh, a little bit more hopeful than my characters <laughs> at this point of time. You know, well, well, it's a perspective we don't often get here in the United States or even in the West of uh, countries that, uh, and I think we lose sight of this. And I I don't want to overstate this, and if I am, please let me know. But given what the Soviet Union Um, and the remnants of the Soviet Union, the different republics that came out of the breakup of the Soviet Union back in the the early 90s. These were countries that were absolutely devastated by World War II. And I don't think we in the West, we overlook it often. We, to our own peril, because I think this informs so much of kind of the outlook on on life and and the outside world. And uh, I mean, we in the West rarely acknowledge the fact that the Soviet Union lost over 20 million people in World War II. And, and while the cities in the in sort of rebuilding of, of the, that part of the world probably did better, the rural areas of, of that part of the world were probably still to this day are kind of dealing with the consequences of such a generation or two of deprivation. Am I, am I doing being too analytical here? Oh, that- no, no, I th- it's, a, it's a great perspective that you're bringing in. I would say that Belarusian identity is a very much based and formed by the Second World War, which we called the Great Patriotic War. You know, the city of Minsk is, you know, every other street is dedicated to the partisans, the, the underground resistance that was uh, um, very active during the war. It's interesting, you know, if I were to try to uh, make a parallel and see how it is reflected in my film, I would maybe point out to the fact that there are a lot of very active women who are characters, you know, who are who keep right. the society going because right. the men are not there or the men are, you know, killed or, or decimated. You know, the only men left behind were, were, you know, were not functional, were not physically functional. So, so right. that right. you can argue that the DNA was kind of, uh, you know, the DNA pool is, 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 is not uh, the same that it was before the war. And you could see the consequences of that. I mean, it's a very kind of like a Darwinistic explanation of, of what you would see on screen. But, um, you know, this idea of a very strong, uh, strong, powerful, outspoken woman, a Soviet woman, you know, definitely comes and was supported through these historical events. It came to surface uh, uh, as well. It had to. And uh, just real quick, just as a, as a way of perspective, the United States lost... 250,000 soldiers, 250,000 soldiers died, American soldiers died in World War II, and that's fighting in two theaters. It was obviously a a tremendous loss, don't mean to diminish it, but I've always, whenever I think of that part of the world, the the Soviet Union and and the republics, I can't imagine losing 20 to 30 million people and in what less than three, two generations ago, my father's right. old enough to have been in World War II. He he served in Korea, but nonetheless, I'm I feel like a connection in my own world of a couple of generations removed from what we consider to be an absolutely devastating experience. It's so right. I, I just and it's referred to in the film. There's a there's a museum and the, the school. There's a little bit of a nod to it. Yeah, to the, 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 yeah. 
character's main character's mother works in a war museum, you know, and leads this uh, right. Yeah, she she shows the the school children around, and you know, they're not exactly excited about having <laughs> to hear the story. So it's like this absurd, you know, take on how we don't always, you know, accept our parents' memory and in the generation changes. But yeah, to come back to the statistics, you know, all the Ukraine and Belarus and, and these borderline countries were hit, borderline republics at the time were hit the most. I think Belarus lost uh, every fourth person to in, in the war. And, you know, and then they would burn down the whole villages uh, on their way. Yeah. They were blitzkrieging. Right, right. I didn't want to turn this into the history channel, but I, I, I but I, but I, I feel like it, it infuses so much of the film in terms of the culture that she is coming out of, and why it sort of is so daunting for her to get from point A to point B in the film. Daunting. I mean, but you have to say, it is like, I mean, Soviet regime was also quite oppressive. You know, you had uh, Stalinist purges that right. also killed many, many people. So. So it's like there's a lot of fear of the other. There is, uh, you know, the sense of like you have to follow the rules. Don't rock the boat. You know, Belarus specifically also because it's situated between such powerful forces. It's like right on the border between there's a NATO country right next to us, you know, and right, Russia. Right. So there's like this idea of like don't uh, don't spoil the order. Just follow the rules, right? Right. You know, right. Because it's like this will get us somewhere. You know, we. So, so it's like Belarus is like the father who who's on the balcony and smokes and doesn't doesn't <laughs> act. You know, he yeah. sees everything. He knows what's right, what's wrong. But there's like no nothing. Well, let let's dive a little more uh, into the story, uh, sort of her journey. But first, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Daria Shuk. She is the director of this wonderful new narrative film called Crystal Swan. And it is available. You can see it uh, on an, on the platform called Mubi M U B I. And right. it's go ahead, tell us a little bit about yes. that. Totally, it's also searchable through through Amazon. If you just dial it in Amazon Prime, you'll find it. Okay. Movie. Yeah. But for some period of time, uh, Mubi is offering it as a free uh, viewing. Is that? Do I have that correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could, you could get a month for free before before you have to pay for your subscription. So, right. so wonderful of them. Yeah, and I recommend it. Uh, I recommend Mubi, and there, you know, there, there are those platforms out there that pre are giving us fantastic films. This is one of them that are o available for not a lot of money. I, I don't know if you have any, if there's plans to put this on Canopy. We have a Canopy here through mm. the library system. Yes. Incredible array of films, but for the purposes of our conversation, Mubi, and also you mentioned Amazon. You can look it up there. I do want to talk about uh, Alina Nazobulina. She plays the part of Velia, and she is uh, fantastic. Let her know you're a fan, Mike. <laughs> oh, she doesn't have to say a lot. One of the things I love about good acting is the ability to convey things w with your facial expressions, your way you stand in a room, the way that you kind of deal with people in your space. And she does all of those things really well. That's so lovely to hear, you know, because this was her first big role, first lead role. She did have a little supporting part in another art house movie, uh, but I didn't know about it. So I felt like I discovered her, you know, I felt like she was mine. Um, and I'm very proud of our collaboration. She uh, came quite late to the project. 
and then I suddenly saw that she looked a little bit like Madonna and suddenly I of course thought about desperately seeking Susan and then I'm like okay like why fight it you know a person looks like it you know so I should use it so it's wonderful because I think it lets American audiences in a little bit because they recognize it as something else like something else some other good movie it reminds them of something else that also is I'm a big fan of Susan Sandelman yeah, uh, I was going to say that, thank you, let's get the reference for our audience, but she's even dressed like Madonna in Desperately Seeking Susan. So just uh, so people are wondering about the reference, <laughs> there's a little bit of... You know, it was, it was fascinating just to, for, for uh, cinephiles out there. Uh, desperately, yeah, I, it's funny. Okay, so maybe Madonna, maybe Madonna is, is a little bit, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's similar. You know, because we had 80s as a reference. The film happens in 1996. Right. But every time you do a period piece, other periods also invaded the previous periods. So, so it's like she's dressed as a mixture of 90s and, and 80s. There's a little bit of 80s there. So, of course, there's a, there's well, a nod. Right, right. Well, and also in different parts of the world, these different cultural trends come at different points, right? So I would That's assume there's, there's some of those are... Um, uh, yeah, some of the, of course, like I thought that, uh, you know, maybe I should dress her very in the very, like super trendy, but you know, I think it's about, you know, what you could find in the secondhand store. It wasn't, you know, you couldn't buy, you know, she's, she's kind of trading, you know, she's, she's right. for these items because these items represent the West, represent, right. you know, this, this branded, this Armani, Armani jacket, like that's what you want to be wearing. Yes, of course. Right. Something, the label. Right. And, and the film, uh, Crystal Swan, kind of hangs on this one very clever premise, and that is that uh, Belia has applied for a visa to come to the United States, and she has put the wrong phone number on the application. So now she has to, re she realizes it after the fact, and she has to try and track down where the phone number is. And I thought that was such a clever little motif, pres uh, sort of a premise in the film, because it opens up an incredible array of opportunities. We get to see her kind of determination, her ability to kind of figure out what she needs to do, and also her survival skills kick in, in the process yeah. of getting where she needs to go. It's all, and then we op it opens us up to this village outside of Minsk, and so we see, again, this rural co context for, for what, uh, what's happening to her. I love the premise. I love the way that that kind of opened the door for so many other things to happen. I'm just kind of curious where you came up with that. It's on a real story. <laughs> Several of my friends tried, were so desperate about their American dream and coming to America that they, uh, they used all kinds of tricks to, to trick American embassy in Minsk to, to come here on, on a tourist visa or, you know, my friend went even to Warsaw to the neighboring country to apply for her green card. I mean, many different tricks. There really was one particular story where my friend uh, put in, you know, fake information and then had to go track down what that information was, what, you know, she pretended to be somebody she was not, you know, like, like work in some other organization in the office somewhere. And of course, like she, it's, I mean, right now we live in the age of internet and, and you know, information flows and people understand a little bit more about like, you know, that, that things are, you know, going to be checked. There's due diligence. <laughs> but at the time, at the time it wasn't, it wasn't so easy to find out how the process works and how, 
it was kind of funny, you know, I, I almost convinced the American embassy in Minsk to sponsor the screening, you know, <laughs> they, they wanted to make it a propaganda piece, like, don't lie on your application for your visa. <laughs> but then they decided against it. They, you know, <laughs> maybe it wasn't, wasn't a good, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it was too, too, over an art, too much of an artful um, endeavor for them. It works so well. And one of the other things about Valia and how she, Valia, is that it also introduces us into the world of this sort of low-grade, uh, I'll say corruption seems too strong a word, bartering system, a, a way of getting through with not a lot of resources. You, you'll go ahead and say your... Absolutely, your, Absolutely. You, you, just, you just nailed it. Yeah, yeah. it's barter. So, so, you know, in the 90s, there was such a sense of, like, the system broke down, right? And people didn't have, were not paid the salaries anymore. So they, they tried, but they tried to get by by trading their own resources, which is barter, essentially. Yeah. So, so they, they hustled. And that sometimes, you know, involved things like, you know, you make something in your factory and instead of, you know, you would be paid in these items. And in this particular situation in Crystal Swan, it's the crystal that they're making uh, at this factory that they have to have have to find some kind of place marketplace where they sell and they, they sell it everywhere in this town right uh, right in the tourists yeah right, it's a, right. and i believe the the factory is almost if not completely women working in the factory i don't remember well i think i saw walking in there's one they're queuing up to go in but in the scenes we see there's a, just a whole bunch of women working in the factory yeah yeah, yeah. There was one man. Yeah. Yeah. No, and sometimes it just didn't. In this particular case, because it's just we invited real uh, workers to mm. to participate in the scene, and it just so happened that the people who volunteered were women, which I think is representative of, of like who is active, who's carrying the, who is carrying the society forward. You know, it's just like women are you know sustain sustain the love livelihood. That is, I think, true in real life. How's that? I think women <laughs> sustain society in ways that uh, we men do not. Maybe um, they're underappreciated sometimes, yes. You think? Uh, yeah, I th yeah, definitely. Women are not appreciated to the degree <laughs> they should be. I'm going to sort of give away one other part of the story because I want people to see Crystal Swan. I don't want to give away too much. But when Elia ends up in this rural town, she she finds herself in the middle of the preparations for a wedding, which again leads to another whole kind of panoply of issues and things that kind of come out of that uh, out of that uh, part of the story. And that's another thing about the film and uh, in the writing of it and the, the way you put it together, things that unfold feel completely organic, and also they have the added benefit of giving you a, another whole realm of things to consider in terms of her life and the society and a lot of other issues sort of come into play, but in a very unforced way. Everything seems to sort of be organically happening and she's dealing with it. Yeah, we have like another, um, another layer that comes in because she's a city girl coming to the village, coming you know, to a small town. So there's a clash of you know, the city versus the country. Um, and so you get to see a little bit more of a small town uh, worldview um, and learn a little bit more about that, that part of the world. So from that point of view, I was very excited that, yeah, that, you know, it's almost absurd. She wants to go to America and instead she goes deeper into her country, like the opposite. She makes the opposite journey, which was, you know, was a really fun, fun part about the script. 
Well, and also the, the film has moments of comedy. There are, there are some sort of uh, related to the society that they're sort of having to uh, uh, navigate, but also it, it's very dramatic. And, it, and again, we're asking, you know, Alina Nazobolina to carry this. I, I, I don't think it's too far off to say she's in almost every frame of this film. And that's yeah, why. Absolutely. Yes. She, she does carry it. She's, she's in every scene. She's maybe like, you know, maybe not in one or two scenes, you know, not at the factory, but, but other, she did a great job. What you're referring to is, yes, there's like several, you know, it's not just drama. It does have a lot of humor. So it's like a high and low. It has different tone. Tonally, it comes in and then uh, it's like a heartfelt comedic journey. I mean, if if we, we can say, you know, it's, a, it's hard to call it completely a comedy, but maybe a dark comedy. But what I like, it has like a, it's, it has a very heartfelt, it, it does have this, this note, you know, where, where I'm laughing, but I'm really sad at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's, right. that's what I wanted, and I was very happy with that tone. Um, but, you know, of course, trying out other actresses, I saw in my mind, I saw different permutations of this movie, and it wasn't always so funny. You know? yeah, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it was so tragic. So yeah. I'm very happy that, um, that Alina brought this, like, so much energy. She's so likable, right? Yeah, yes, she's yeah. very likable. And, and quirky, like, like a quirky heroine. You know, I was thinking about the film. I was trying to, for our audience to kind of understand it in a, in relation to other films. It kind of reminds me, sort of a, a companion film would be Stranger Than Paradise. Oh, I love that you're saying that. That's wonderful. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of that. It's this sort of uh, fish out of water, strangers in a strange yeah. land. She, she is, but she isn't that. But it's at the same time, it sort of feels like she's things are just happening around her and she's just trying to kind of navigate and trying to navigate how, how we do in life. Yeah. That's like the slice of, I love stranger than paradise. Of course. Um, I also, you know, maybe uh, could relate to the minimalistic shooting style of that film Yeah, and, and really loved he's, you know, he's framing how very minimally, but he would guide you through the emotional core of the story. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it all comes, you know, sometimes it's, it's almost defined by, by the budget that you have, <laughs> that kind of, you, you can create the language, you know, knowing your limitations. And I know he had very little, little money to make Stranger in Paradise. And, and so did I, <laughs> with Crystal Swan. So I was like, you know, I only have three shots per scene. And that's like, I have to, I have to make this happen. I have to either stage it or, or, you know, put it around in the way that it would make sense for them than in the editing and that was the challenge i think uh but also added so much to the language because it's so it's so efficient like you had to be really efficient you know efficiency it, was a big thing with this film well that's and that's a word i would use to describe the storytelling as well not in that is it's an efficient story it moves along it doesn't really linger too long on any one thing and it keeps kind of the the plot moving but also characters we we're we bring characters back into the story. They kind of come in and come out. So I, I thought that was very well done. I'm curious as to how much of the final product and the dialogue will adhere to the script because it feels like like a, some improv went into this. How much improv or was it all scripted? It was all scripted. <laughs> so okay, okay. Like, you no, know, I mean, we rewrote some things, but we rewrote them in rehearsal. 
you know, and we, we adjusted things, but not during the shooting. You know, there, there's a scene that we would sometimes, oh, it's not working, let's sit down and rewrite and let's change. But it's not like the actors are improvising on the spot. N you know, not. It's just like was feeling like, oh, let's try it. Uh, but it didn't quite work for me. I guess I'm, uh, you know, a little bit more structured. And especially with limited means, it's very hard to improv. You know, you, like you have to adjust your process to 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 incorporate this this aspect and if you don't it just doesn't doesn't happen i just didn't have time i can tell you that <laughs> but i love actors and you know i think that's what we do in rehearsal we find things and then you know once you found them then then you just uh you know you you improvise in the way you say the lines that we already agreed on you know I, I listen to a lot of suggestions from actors so so you know actors come in and they make suggestions about their character or it's like my character always says wonderful perfect perfect you know and it becomes like this parasite word and then everybody remembers this character by just this parasite word so i had stefan's mother does that a lot um uh she, she says it's it's like a mixture of belarusian and russian and she's like wonderful <laughs> Where actually it's not, it's not quite, yeah, but, you know, tries to, tries to even everything out. In, right. in well, thank you for indulging me in my, my, my latest, this week's obsession, which is uh, having watched, watched the film and I'm like, oh, everybody should improv. But I also understand exactly what you're saying. And, and, and it's such a collaborative medium that, that, and you're talking about being on a very strict kind of timeline to get this done. So everybody works in a way that, that, that works best for them and under whatever circumstances they are they're working in. So, well, this is your first uh, feature film. You've done a number of shorts. Uh, what, what sort of that transition from short film making to long form and how is that informing you moving forward in your career as to from this experience uh, moving on? You know, I, I feel like what helped me uh, kind of move along my career was going to film school, I have to say. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, I'm just realizing you, you, you run no film school. I, I love my film school. Um, I went to Columbia uh, and it kind of prepared me to making, you know, shorts, TV or, or features. It has, it's an, everything is an interesting genre to me to, to, to try to do. So I, I found the transition to be quite seamless. It was it was fine. I think it's just uh, I think from the outside it seems a little bit bumpy. It's hard to find financing, but uh, but you know, and I think it, and right now, I really my heart goes out to to everybody who's trying to raise for their first feature right now, raise money because I think now it's really difficult in COVID and everything to be in 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 such uncertainty, such uncertainty covering this industry uh, permeating. Right needing it that, yeah that it's difficult it's just going to take more time yeah it's right, a matter right. of time but, but eventually right. it happens there are people who support good storytelling there are people who support emerging directors so so i have i have hope i don't lose hope after i made my transition after i made crystal swan i uh, last year i've shot a season of tv i made eight episodes in russia of this uh detective story about the world of rich Russians. Uh, it's called Gold Diggers. It was uh, released in Amazon Europe uh, as Russian Affairs. Um, so that was that was quite an adventure and it was a lot of shooting days and a lot of work. So so I'm very happy with the way Crystal Swan played in Eastern Europe because I got a lot of offers. I would love to make uh, an English language feature in the same vein as Crystal Swan about my personal experience of actually coming and living in America with an American family. I'd love to shoot that story in Northern California because that's where I, I spent my, <laughs> that's where I spent a year in high school. 
Ah, okay. Uh, it's called the Real American, uh, and hopefully that will that will find traction. Um, well, well, congratulations. Oh. Well, wonderful. Well, I just want to congratulate you again on Crystal Swan. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. People care about that stuff. Uh, getting a lot of acclaim. And uh, I truly look forward to you coming back on Film School Radio. Uh, thank you, Daria Shuk, for your time today. And all the best moving forward. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Good luck. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.